The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com. Please stand for the reading of the word. I'll be reading from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do so. This is the word of the Lord. This is awkward. (laughs) Who am I? Okay, they're hypothetical questions. Bear with me. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what is my purpose? These are the three questions that young people struggle with and wrestle with every day of their lives, not only in this church, but all over the world. If you don't know me, my name is Eric. I am the assistant director of youth ministry here at Story City Burbank. And that means that it's my job to sit on the curb of young people's lives and point them to Jesus while they wrestle with these three exact questions. And if you're anything like me, you may be sitting there in your seat this morning and thinking to yourself, man, I don't think I have the answers to these questions figured out, and I'm not a teenager. (laughs) Well, honestly, that's okay. The truth is, regardless of our age, we all contend with, with questions of our identity belonging, and purpose every day of our lives. Just because a 15-year-old struggles with them and feels the tension of them every time their friends don't vote for them for homecoming, or they scroll through the horrors of our world on TikTok and feel like they can't do anything about it, or they take another skills and destiny assessment at at high school, doesn't mean that it's any less real or any less applicable for someone who's old and decrepit like Justin Haig. I'm serious. He was telling me a story last week of how he babysat Jesus. It was ridiculous. Anyways, (laughs) they are just as real and applicable for someone like him as it is for someone like me as it is for our teenagers. And it is especially real and especially tangible for the God of the universe. As a matter of fact, he treats these questions of identity with the utmost importance. The gospel is a story of identity. It's a story of a humanity that was broken, rebellious, disgraceful, that God made beautiful, abiding, and genuine through no work other than his. So how does this answer my questions? Well, I believe that the answer to all three questions can be summed up in verse 10 of our passage this morning. If you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write down our first main idea. If there's anything you take away from the message this morning, take down this sentence. My identity is... His workmanship in Christ for good works. My identity is his workmanship in Christ for good works. So I met this guy once. 
His name was Chet. Chet was a good guy, I promise. He was a really sweet guy. But it was one of those, like, friend of a friend of a friend kind of things. So, like, I didn't really know a lot about Chet. So I was like, Chet, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who is Chet? Who are you? And he thinks for a second, and he goes, well, when I was seven, and he proceeded to talk for 17 and a half more minutes. And granted, you know, that was fine. And I sat there, and I listened. And he goes, well, when he's done, he's like, well, Eric, you know, tell me a little bit about you. And I was like, I am a redheaded actor from South Carolina. Nice to meet you, Chet. And I was done. And look, at some point, we've probably either known a Chet or we've been a Chet. But no matter whether I liked it or not, whether I wanted to listen to this guy's whole story, the truth is, he gave me a really good answer to the question, who am I? All jokes aside, the truth is, our story sits at the very core of who we are. It sits at the very core of what our identity is. Sometimes we feel like that's for the better. Sometimes we feel like that's for the worse. But what if I told you that being God's workmanship, like it says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, means that you have the greatest story ever told, told by the greatest storyteller ever. So if you're asking the question, who am I, you can find the answer in one word at the beginning of verse 10. You've heard me say it already. Workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Again, if you're taking notes, go ahead and jot down our first point. I am God's workmanship. Stick it on your mirror, stick it, stick it on the wall of your bedroom, and read it every time you wake up. I am God's workmanship. What does this word workmanship mean, though? <laughs> if I'm reading it every day, I've got to understand what it is, right? Well, let's take a look at the Greek. The Greek word that Paul uses is this word poema. It's actually where we get the English word poem. It's a word often used to describe um, the creation of a master craftsman, right? Often something skillful and artistic, like a poem or a story or a song. Like you could say that um, the musical Hamilton is Lin-Manuel Miranda's poema. I know, Kaya's excited about that one. The complete works of Arthur Conan Doyle are Arthur Conan Doyle's... Sherlock Holmes is Arthur Conan Doyle's poema. And whether you like it or not, you could also probably say that Baby Shark is Pink Frog's poema. I know. Yes, I did have to look up who owns Pink Frog, but, or Baby Shark. Let's not worry about that. The point is, regardless of how you spin it, regardless of how many examples you give, this word poema or workmanship implies more than just aimless creation. It denotes intentionality, beauty, a steady hand. As a matter of fact, some translations even take this word so far as to mean masterpiece. Magnum opus. Hear me this morning, family. If you are questioning who you are, God says you are his masterpiece. My dad loves this verse. This is his favorite verse in all of scripture. And so I heard it all the time growing up. Eric, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Granted, my dad was a youth pastor when I was growing up, so I got like a lot of unwarranted advice that I didn't understand until I got older. And look at me now, you know. So I'm sure he was right in some regard. But I didn't understand it until I was older. I didn't really understand the depth and the breadth of what it meant to be God's masterpiece. What does it mean for me? Does it mean just simply that God loves me? Does it mean that he thinks I'm beautiful? Does, he, does it mean that he made me for a reason? Yes, yes, and yes. All those things, absolutely true. But it means something more. It means you receive a new story, a poema, a work of art. 
And it is not just some run-of-the-mill story that you see on TikTok. It is the impossible story of death to life. Take a moment. Just listen to your story, family. This is verses 1 through 5 of our passage this morning. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We all, too, previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. Family, God knit us together in our mother's wombs. He knew exactly how many hairs were going to be on top of our heads. He knew the length of our eyelashes. He knew the exact Pantone shade of yellow your coffee-stained teeth were going to be, and he declared you good. But unfortunately, family, when we were born into this world, we inherited a sinful nature, a nature that since the beginning of this story has been running rampant and pulling us to and fro and inside and out and upside down and breaking and corrupting the very goodness that he created us for. And unfortunately, every day, we chose to further live out this sinful nature, driving this rift between us and God further and further wide. But God, being so rich in love for you, for us, took off glory, seeing attempt after attempt after attempt to make things right from our end. He said, my turn. I'm going to take off glory, put on humility and humanity, walk among you, live the perfect life you could not live so that in dying on the cross, he could take your sinful nature with him to the grave. And when death thinks it's one and it begins to rejoice, three days later, he leaves the grave, leaving your sin behind him. So that in having faith in him, you have a story of death to life also. That is God's workmanship. That story, that poem, that greatest story ever told in history, that is your story. You are workmanship. You are poema. We are God's workmanship. The next time someone tells you to tell them who you are, it takes 17 and a half minutes to tell them the story of your true identity. One of the most beautiful and important parts of this identity, of this story that we get to have, whose workmanship are we? God's. We are God's workmanship, not our own. Everything that makes us beautiful in his eyes comes from his end of the deal. This is good news. Do you know why? It means that we can't mess it up. We cannot mess up the fact that we are God's workmanship. He already did the work. The truth is, guys, if we walk around our lives and we look to the things that we can create and the things that we can do to give us our identity, we will see nothing but broken sinful messes. But if we look to the cross to tell us who we are, we are going to see cherished, beloved, redeemed child. That becomes our identity. I'm an actor, right? Um, Among other things, but I'm an actor. And 
If I walk around this world and I put my identity in the fact that I'm an actor, I can make good faces and say the lines really well for money. That's who I am. I'm a, I'm a good actor. Guess what's going to happen eventually? I'm going to give a bad performance. I'm not going to be able to cry on command. I'm not going to be able to say the lines right. I'm going to show up late. And then guess what I am? I'm a bad actor. That becomes part of my identity. My failures I will take on to myself. Eric Grooms, bad actor. But if I place my identity in being God's workmanship, I cannot will not and will never fall short of that identity because it was never my work to begin with. It never hinged on the fact that I was good workmanship. No, he did that. Guys, the next time you fall short of your earthly identity and you feel broken, you feel sinful, you feel hurt, unreconcilable, ask yourself, what story am I believing right now about myself? Am I listening to the story that I've created in my own life to tell me who I am? Am I listening to the actor self to tell me who I am? Or am I listening to the very word of God? Am I listening to the workmanship, the poema that God wrote about me to tell me who I am? Guys, I guarantee if we begin to really, truly believe that story, we are God's workmanship, that is our story, the way we think about ourselves in our darkest moments will be unrecognizable. The way that we treat other people will be unrecognizable. God, the, our relationship with God will be unrecognizable. So if I'm God's workmanship, every painting, the Mona Lisa is hung up in the Louvre, right? Sherlock Holmes belongs on a bookshelf. That's where it belongs. All of the Pink Frog songs belong on Spotify because they're songs. The masterpieces belong with the other masterpieces, right? So where do I belong? Well, I believe that the answer to that question is, again, summed up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Just a little bit further on, a couple words to the right. We are God's workmanship. Here's the kicker. Created in Christ Jesus. If you're taking notes, go ahead and jot down our second point, which is, I belong in Christ. Do you see this phrase, in Christ, is a deep, breathy phrase that means way more than just a fancy email sign-off that the church staff uses sometimes. It means a lot of different things, and it means a lot of weighty theological things, but those things can be summed up in one thing. To be in Christ means unity. It means oneness with Christ. It means that because of God's grace, I, the worst sinner I know, am made one with Christ, the most righteous to ever exist, and in becoming one, his righteousness overcomes my sinfulness, making me righteous in the eyes of the Lord, just as Christ. This was completely and utterly necessary in order for us to have a redeemed relationship with God. We were broken. We were unworthy of a truly good relationship with God. But God didn't let the story end that way. He went out of his way to make sure that no matter what we do, what we've done, and what we will do, we are worthy. We belong in his presence. This is God's work. Because of God's work, 
just like a man and a woman, when they get married, they become, they, they, they are, but they become one flesh, right? They share one life, they share one roof, they share one dog. So Christ and I, in unity, being in Christ, become one in spirit. This has crazy implications for our belonging. So what do these two unifying acts have in common? There's a, there's a thread. Relationship. It means that we first belong in a relationship with God. Not because of anything we've done, but because God picked us up and put us there. Can you imagine how great a love that is? That says, no matter what you've done, I will pick you up out of the broken place you deserve to be in and say you belong in a good place instead. It's a love that we're meant to experience every single day of our lives. And it is an intense amount of belonging that we cannot earn. As a matter of fact, I would argue that you cannot belong more than when someone says, you belong not because of what you've done, but because of who I say you are. This relationship is intimate. It seeps into every moment and every fiber of our being. This relationship with Christ is where our wisdom comes from. It's where our hope comes from. It's where our strength comes from. It's where the very life force of the believer comes from. If we aren't taking advantage of this intimacy we have in Christ, if we aren't every time our mind is not actively occupied with something going, I belong in Christ. I belong. I am abiding in Christ. We are missing out. A book I'm reading right now is is called Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray, and it says this. And observe especially. It was not that he said, come to me and abide with me, but abide in me. The communion was not only to be unbroken, but most intimate and complete. He opened his arm to press you to his bosom. He opened his heart to welcome you there. He opened up all his divine fullness of life and love and offered to take you up into its fellowship to make you wholly one with himself. There was a depth of meaning you cannot yet realize in his words, abide in me. To abide in Christ is to spend every moment of our lives aware and accepting of the truth that we are constantly held in him. To understand the truth that God's work has already been done to make us belong in him and being propelled by that truth into the arms of the one that loves us most. A heart that understands where it belongs is a heart that cries out, Abba. Father, I belong and I am safe and I'm cared for in your arms, just as Christ did. We got to ask ourselves, am I approaching God's throne in the confidence of a child that knows that they belong in their father's arms? How would this change our prayers? How would this change the way that we trust him in the moments when we don't want to? How would this change where we think we belong in this world? You see, to be in Christ also means that you belong among his body. You belong in his church. Do you show up this morning feeling like an outsider? You belong here. Do you show up this morning feeling like the world had rejected you and you had nowhere else to go? Guess what? You belong here. Did your neighbor forget to put on deodorant this morning? Guess what? They belong here too. Whether you like it or not. They do. They belong here and you do too, not because of anything that they did, but because God made it so. I don't have a secret membership card, do you? 
You see, Ephesians 2.19 says, Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Remember. Let's not forget, every single believer shares the same story. We are all God's workmanship. We come from different walks of life. Some of us grew up in the church. Some of us didn't. Some of us come from South Carolina. Some of us come from San Bernardino, okay? We all have different flavors of sin, right? But the same work that God did in you, he did in your fellow believer. The story of death to life that gives us our identity, God did in each and every one of us. Much like God took the Jew and the Gentile and broke down that wall of hostility between them at the time to make one man in the body of Christ. So he's doing among us. And that sounds great and fine and dandy and awesome, but it also means you have a duty to your fellow believers. It means taking care of them in sickness, rejoicing with them in health. And it especially means tearing down that dividing barrier of hostility between you when things are broken. And yeah, God did this so that we could have unity and family among one another. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things about this church. But he has also unified you together for a common purpose. Moving the train along, our final question is, what is my purpose? So if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and jot down, my purpose is good works. The answer to this question is summed up in you guess it, Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works that God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. That's our purpose. Good works. God has done a fantastic work in us and given us a beautiful place to belong, not only in him, but among his church. But that isn't something, that isn't a gift that we run away with after we open it up on Christmas morning and play with alone in our room. We have work to do. But Eric, I thought we just talked about how our works don't lead to salvation and they don't matter. And you're absolutely right. They don't lead to salvation. Please, save yourself the agony of trying to put your identity in the good works that you can do. Save yourself the agony of trying to put your, your identity in the good works that you can do. I've been there. It's not fun. But that doesn't mean that they aren't part of the equation. I mean, let's pay attention to the order of this statement made here in Ephesians 2.10. It says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice how it does not say you are created for good works in order to be God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. The saving already happened. God's work already made us worthy and already gave us the right to carry out the good work that he requires and commands us to do. As a matter of fact, God's work is the prerequisite. Being a Christian, being a Christian, comes before doing what Christians do. Doing good works doesn't make you a Christian. You do good works because you are a Christian. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If God had not grafted us like a master gardener does a branch to a vine to supplicate the fruit that it bears, we would never be able to do the good work that he desires. The good work he calls you to do must come out of an abiding relationship with him. Our good works are not a checklist being meticulously curated by some 
merciless taskmaster. They're meant to be an overflow of an intimate relationship that we belong in. So if these works don't save me, God's grace supplied to me through Jesus empowers me and inspires me to do these good, good works. What on earth are these good works you're talking about, Eric? Well, simply put, perhaps too simply put, good works are works that are good. But truly good. They are good because they honor God and they love people. Those are the two most important Jesus, things Jesus tells us to do, right? They are done for God's glory, in God's strength, because God commands it. And it's easy for us to fall into this classic Christian school of thought that likes to limit these good works to things that happen on a Sunday morning. Things like evangelism, feeding the poor, Bible study, vocational ministry, and those things are good and should be desired and should be done and should overflow from you. But the good works that Paul talks about here extend beyond that into every day of our life and everything that we do. You see, Paul tells us that we are to walk in these good works. And it's funny, he uses this word walk in Ephesians more than any other book of the Bible. And it doesn't just denote this like aimless promenading about, this wandering in the desert. It, it implies intentional steps taken in a predetermined direction. He's saying that to do good works is to walk down a path. And to walk down a path means that we are meant to do them constantly with every step that we take. We are to let good works be the rhythm of our lives, not just what happens on a Sunday morning, not just what happens when you go to work, but every waking moment, it should overflow from your relationship with him. They're not boxes to be checked, but a lifestyle that marks the true believer. This path has been outlined for us since the law of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the law's purpose was to outline this path. If you've read the Old Testament, I'm sure you know how bad God's people were at following this path. It is a good thing. It is a good work that because of God's grace and Jesus' work on the cross, that law, that path has been written on our hearts. And everything we need to walk down it has been supplied for us. Along this path, the commandments of God are fulfilled. Those who walk down this path rejoice in God's ways because they're spiritual, they're good, they're holy. Every good work you do in this life will fall along this path. So guys, time is now. We are God's workmanship today. So walk down the path today. Abide in Christ today. Do good works today. Don't wait. It's time. But remember, this first begins by understanding the good work that God first did in us. we got to understand that our story is the greatest story ever told. We are a beloved masterpiece of creation, and masterpieces don't exist in a vacuum. A masterpiece deserves to be held and maintained by the one who created it. You belong in the arms of God and within the community of his church. But the story doesn't end there. There's a path to walk down. There are good works to be done. There's an abiding relationship that begs to be maintained. And when you do, when we do, the overflow of God will change the lives of the people around us. And it will change the lives of us more than we could ever possibly believe. 
Go and be God's workmanship today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful faces I get to see this morning and share the message that you put on my heart. I pray that as we go through this week, we would see and understand and know what it means to be your workmanship. See and understand and know what it means to live out the good works you have for us. Be with us, bless us, and walk with us this week. We love you.